Ephesians 5, 7 through 14. Therefore, do not become partners with them, talking about those who are still in their sin, those who are preaching empty words, those who are still, as he's going to say in a minute, in darkness. Do not be partners with them, for at one time you were, were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I want to talk with you this morning from this passage about living our identity. It is, uh, it is more and more apparent in my own life that living our identity, living as who we are uh, now that we are in Christ, is not to be taken for granted. Would you agree with that? I mean, God has saved us by grace. God is sanctifying us by grace. God is changing us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. I believe that, but every day I wake, and don't you find it's a struggle to live in light of the new man that we are? It's just not a given, in other words. It's not easy. But there is no excuse for us to wander off into, uh, uh, into sin. Paul tells us here, remember last week we talked about verses 3 through 6, where Paul gives the strongest uh, um, reason for living as a child of, of God. The strong reason, one, number one is, if you do not live according to the person of Christ, if you are not in Christ, you do not live according to the person of Jesus Christ, you will reap the wrath of God. That's verse 6. For this reason, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. That's a strong motivation to godly living. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you're saying, you know, grace just kind of gives me the idea that I'm okay. If I live in sin, it's okay. God will love me. If, if, I, if I go off into ungodliness and commit sexual immorality, I know it's wrong, but it's not all, all that bad. God will forgive me. Paul says, be careful. The wrath of God is coming because of this. Grace is not a door into ungodliness. Grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Grace is not an excuse to live in idolatry, which Paul says in 3 through 6 is idolatry is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is idolatry. And we talked last week about the fact that when you try to build hedges, legalistic rules and regulations without a change in the inward man, what happens? You fail. You can't outrun sin through legalism. You will only run headlong into it. Because what will end up happening is you will either be extremely successful and therefore self-righteous in legalism, or you will fail time and again until you finally say, I just can't do it. And you'll go headlong into sin. God's solution to sexual sin, I told you last week and I, 
I admitted my own struggles. Sexual sin is idolatry. And God's warning against it is to hold on to Jesus Christ. Cling to the cross. Call on Him to have His supply of grace infused into your life. Now, as we move into this next section, we're going to see the second motivation for living a life of morality. And that is, you're motivated to live because that's who you are. To do anything different, to not live pure, is contrary to your very nature. So Paul's imploring us in this passage, his one great point in 7-14 through 14 is, you're saved by grace, you're a child of God, live like it. Live like it. Now, let's break that down and make it hopefully easier for us all to grasp. We need to always remember who we are, who we were, excuse me, before Christ, and who we are in Christ. We need to remember who we were. Look what he says in verse 7. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Don't join in with these people who are committing sexual immorality, who are living like the world. Don't become a partner to them. Why? For at one time you were darkness. You were darkness. John, the, the gospel writer John, and uh, in both his gospel account and in his letter, 1 John, he focuses on the contrast between darkness and light. You remember in John chapter 1? The light is coming into the world, and the world did not receive it, but the darkness could not extinguish it. You remember that in John chapter 1? He's focusing on Christ being the light. Christ being the light and the world being dark. And when Christ came in, the darkness rejected the light but could not overcome it. It's simple, isn't it? In physical terms, this is easy for children to understand. Children, if you walk into your bedroom at night and no lights are on, when you cut on the light switch, what wins? Darkness or light? What wins, children, when you cut the light on? Is it dark or is it light? Light. That's it. The darkness cannot hide the light. That's, that's John chapter 1. And John's fond of using that analogy. John chapter 3. He says that Christ is into the world and he, he, he is not coming to judge the world for the world judges itself because it has rejected Him. And it exposes, he is exposing the wickedness of man in that passage. In John 3, verses, uh, verses 14, 15, and 16, it's all focused around the fact that the light is coming to the world. When you reject the light, in verse 17 it says, in John 3, 17, it says that like cockroaches, those who have rejected Christ and want to live in sin run for the darkness. They can't stand under the heat of the light, the magnification of the light. So, John's favorite analogy in some ways is light and darkness. He often talks about it in the sense of you are either in darkness or you are in light. But look what Paul does. Paul is much stronger than that in this passage. Paul is much stronger than that. He doesn't say you're in darkness, does he? Look at verse 7. He says... Don't become a partner with them. Why? Verse 8a, the first part of that verse. For at one time you were, don't insert in, darkness. You were darkness. Do you see that? 
He's not saying that you lived in a dark environment where sin infected everybody else, and because it was affecting everybody else, it started to affect you. Paul says when you broke out of your mother's womb, you were darkness. You were born in sin. You were a sinner from the very beginning. The problem with trying to clean your act up is you can't clean the inside. You can't put enough soap on your body to wash away the filth of the heart. You are darkness if you're not in Christ this morning. That's what Paul wants you to know. Listen, you can make all the pledges to your significant other of how you're going to change. Until Christ changes you, you can't change. That's like... That's just like a leper changing his spots. What does Isaiah say? A leper can't change his spots. God changes the leper's spots. So until you are changed from the inside, you cannot change the outside. The behavior modifications the world offers are like a water pistol headed into the fires of hell. It won't work. That's why you're so frustrated. If you're here today and you don't know Christ and you're trying to live a moral life, aren't you tired of yourself? I mean, honestly. Just, just cut through all of the facade of the outside. Just be honest for just a second between you and God. You're tired of trying to pretend like a good person because you know you're not. And you know God knows you're not. You are darkness. And what Paul is telling the readers here is stop pretending. You were darkness. That's who you were. You couldn't change it. But now we've been changed. Look at what it says. We've been changed from self-centered. Dark people are self-centered. They're introverted. They're, they're in their inner man. They desire the things of this world. We've been changed, though, from sinful, self-centered people to God-centered people because we have a relationship with Christ. Look at what he says in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are what? Light. You are light. He didn't say you are in the light. He phrases it as you are light. So, this is magnificent. Catch this. As much, how many of you in here know you were born a sinner? We don't participate much in this church. I have to get a raised hand vote. Nobody will say much. Right? We, nobody denies that. We are sinners. You were darkness, saved man, woman, child. Now you are light. The most freeing thing in all the world is when a Christian understands that you don't have to pretend to be a good person anymore because God in Christ has made you a righteous person. You're not acting anymore. You go around those old buddies doing those same old things, and they say, man, what's up with you? You're not the same as you used to be. They can see it, can't they? They can hear the difference, can't they? I mean, you don't have to walk around with a stamp on your head, I'm saved. It's just who you are. It comes out in every decision you make, every thought you think. Even when you fail, it comes out because you're going to those people and saying, I failed, I sinned, forgive me. You're a changed man. You're a changed woman. You are light now. This gives great significance to Matthew chapter 5, where he says that we are to be like a city set on a hill, Jesus says. Those light cannot be hidden. Do you not understand that what God has done is changed you from a dark 
power outage of a city to a bright and shining candle that cannot be hidden on the hill. His glory, His grace shine through you as a Christian. It radiates. I've been around it. I've seen it, haven't you? I mean, we've all been around those people who they just seem to glow. It's not a facade. It's not something they're putting on. It doesn't repel us because it's just who they are. They exude the grace of God. Paul says, listen, don't join in partnership with sexually immoral people. You once were darkness. Now you are light. You are light. In what? In the Lord. It bothers us to talk that way because we automatically think, well, we are light. I'm a good person. No, I have not said you're a good person. Have I said you're a good person? No, I haven't. I've said you are light. Where does the light come from? In the Lord. This moment, I don't care if you've been with the Lord for 50 years. If He withdrew His grace from your life, you would immediately be darkness. There's no moral improvement in the Bible that is man-made. The only moral improvement that is genuine is God-made. And He implants His Son in us so that His Son's light shines through us. You are light in the Lord. The beautiful contrast that Paul's setting up is when you were born, you were born as darkness. You were dark. You were evil. That's who you were. But now you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Because Christ lives in you, the grace and glory of God exude from you. Not because of you, but because of Christ who is in you. That's why you shouldn't join in partnership with the world. Because you have Christ. We should live as children of light because that's who we are in our new life. This is not a message, and maybe you would like a message of pull up your bootstraps and try harder. You're not going to get that here. You're going to get a strong message of you can't do it. Not even now can you do it. Only Christ can do it. Only Christ can do it. Paul's not telling us to be something we are not, but he's telling us to be who we are in Christ. Because we have Christ in us, we are light, therefore behave that way, act that way. That's the motivation. Do you see it? Last week it was, don't behave like the world, sexually immoral people are idolaters and God's going to judge them with His wrath. That was the motivation. Listen, we have a weak stomach culture. Did you know that? We have a bunch of pansies. We're raising a world full of pansies these days. We really are. Real men are in short supply. Real women are in short supply. But you know why that is? Because we cut out verses as Christians like the one where it says the wrath of God is coming on this, on this behavior. We're scared to tell people, you're going to go to hell if you keep living that way. I'm not afraid to tell you that, not because I believe I'm better than you, but because I believe the Word of God. And without Christ, you will be a child of darkness, and you will inherit the kingdom of darkness forever. It is described as a pit. It is described as a place of burning and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it is eternal. There's no relief. That should motivate people. I hear people say, I don't want to motivate my children by punishing them. Good luck. 
I mean, I don't think that should be your only motivation. I don't think that should be your only tactic. But don't take it from your repertoire. As you might run into that strong-willed child who's the sinner and loves it, and the only way to curb that is through punishment. And God knows that about His spiritual children, too. He says, listen, hell's coming for you if you live as an idolatrous, sexually immoral person. That's only one motivation, though. He moves on, and I like the way he does it. He puts the negative motivation first and then the positive. He ends on a positive. He says, listen, you are now light, so I'm going to set you free. Live who you are. Stop acting like the world. There's something that happens when a Christian gets intimidated and they start to act like the people they're around. The problem is that Christian's never happy. That Christian never senses joy. That Christian lives a repressed and beat down life. Because they're trying to act like the people they're hanging out with who are not Christians, who are not light. And in that moment, they're taking the bushel basket and putting it over the light. I'm going to hide that. I don't want these people to know who I am. They, they, they want approve of it. I want man's approval, not God's approval. I'm going I'm to bushel basket that light. I'm going to hide it. They're like a city that has power and says, you know what, we're just going to have a blackout all over the city. We're not going to use our light. It's the source of power is not the problem. The, the person, me, the old man is the problem. And I get uncomfortable in situations where someone might know that I'm a saved man. And so I try to tell a little off, not a really bad joke, just kind of a bad joke. You know, so they don't catch it so much. I laugh when they tell things they shouldn't. I do things. I behave in ways. And when I go home, I'm always beat to death inside. Because I know that's not who I am. It happens at home all the time. You know? Come home to a stressful day for me and Amy. It's a great occasion for me to act like the darkness and not the light. To bushel basket the light, to cover it, to act like a lost man again, to lose my temper, to lose my patience. And all Paul's saying is, listen, don't do that. Be who you are. Be who you are. You shouldn't be having to try so hard to be a Christian. You ever thought about that? Some of you are tired of trying to be a Christian. It's because you're not one. And Paul's saying, stop acting like it. If you're darkness, you're darkness. You can't change that by your decision. Only God can make you a child of the light. And once you are a child of the light, behave like a child of light. We will produce the fruit of light in our Christian life. That's the second thing I think we need to see from the passage. Look at verse 9. He says at the end of verse 8, You are light in the Lord. The command, the motivation is given now the command. Walk, live as children of light. Live as children of light, and you will produce the fruit of light. Look what it says. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So as we break this passage down, we see that our life as children of the light, capital letter, Jesus Christ, I believe that to refer to, should be characterized by goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
We're not characterized any longer by malice. We're not characterized any longer by crude joking. We're not characterized anymore by injustice. We are good, right, and true. That's who we are. The fruit of that comes out. The result of a fruitless Christianity is hell. I know that steps on your toes, but there is no Christian who will enter the gates of heaven with no fruit. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven with empty hands in the sense that you have no works. That doesn't happen. None of Jesus' children come home paupers. Why? Because Jesus never fails to produce the fruit of the light because He is inside of you. For you to say, I'm a Christian, but I don't produce any fruit, is to say Jesus is impotent. As for you to look at Jesus and say, you're not capable of changing somebody like me. That's for you to judge Jesus and say, he's not enough. Nobody enters the kingdom of heaven empty-handed. It doesn't happen because Jesus always produces his fruit. Jesus through the Spirit, produces the, right, the good, right, just works of God in your life. It, it's, it's a given. It's not a maybe. Hold your place here and turn back to Galatians, and I'll show you how clear it is in one more passage by Paul, just so you don't take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. Galatians chapter 5, speaking about this same similar subject, says, in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Same thing. Walk by the light. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. The same list he gives in Ephesians chapter 5. Sorcery, another form of idolatry. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Listen to what he says. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that describes your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can lie to yourself all you want and say you're a child of the light, but if the fruit of darkness is coming out of you continually and repetitively and as a lifestyle, you are not a child of the light. That's what he's saying. Now look what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it's the fruit of the Spirit. Notice in the other passage it's the fruit of the light. It's not your fruit. This is not a command to do better. He's describing what happens to Christians. You're changed from darkness to light and now the fruit of the light can't help but come out. You have the Spirit of God which wars against the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit will come out. He describes it in Galatians 5 as this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Not one outward thing. They all lead to outward things, but not one outward thing is named in that list. It's all inward. It's all heart level. It's not do-isms. He's telling you the Spirit is in you. He behaves this way. He loves. He creates joy. He is faithful. He is peaceful. He is good. He is gentle. He is kind. Don't call yourself a child of God and live like darkness because you're blaspheming the Spirit in some ways. Don't do it. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. What a beautiful relief, Christian. True Christians in the room, you should breathe a sigh of relief at this passage. You are not being commanded to try to be better. You are better. You're not being told to go out and do a list of good things. They will come out of you because of who the Spirit is in you. But this is a hard passage for some of you because you've got still, you are the darkness. And you fooled everybody in here into thinking you're a child of the light, and you just need to come face to face with God this morning and be honest. And say, I'm not those things that Carlton's talking about and Paul's talking about in those passages because I'm not a child of the light. You need to get sick of yourself and repent and be saved. That's the reality. That's, that's the hard reality sometimes for us. Our old life of darkness should pass away. The bottom line is, you will never be perfect in this life, but you ought to be much more mature, much more godly as you live, as you move forward in life. If you're not becoming progressively more sanctified, sanctification is not taking place. Again, same encouragement. Now, as we move into the next section, the final part here, we see that the children of light love to please their father. Look at uh, the passage here in verse 10. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, it's interesting to me, when you think about the father-son relationship, the father-child relationship God has with us, children are this way. You take your children, you put them in an environment where they don't feel loved and they're not accepted and they behave all manners of ungodly. But you put them in an environment where their father loves them and they know it by his actions, by his gracious giving, by his servant heart. And I'll show you children that will run to please their daddy. They'll do everything they can not to fail. Him. They look for things that make him happy. That doesn't describe you. You might need to ask the question, am I really a child of the Father? Because children of the Father love to please Him. True children of the Father aren't made by a tyrant to obey, but rather because they are accepted by a loving Father, who dotes on them and gives them everything they could ask for and more, they want to please Him. They have a desire. You see, it's easy for people to look at passages like this and say, well, that's just legalism. No, it's not legalism. 
It's, it's the fact that true believers who have been accepted by grace live by grace. And grace, produced by the Spirit, produces the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're looking at your life and you say, you know what, I'm nowhere near that. I'm, I'm far away from that. I just again ask you to evaluate yourself. Our God, our Father God, is not a dictator. He's a loving shepherd for our soul. He's a shepherd. He leads and guides us. He does not drive us with a bullwhip. He does not dictate to us. That's why the passage says, try to know. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Some of you wish you had a list of the 15 things God expects from you today, and you got it in email form every morning, but the fact is you don't get it. So the fact is you're at work, and you have to try to know what is the will of the Lord in that case. It's not easy. It's not easy. I'm not painting it as that. But I would ask this, are you even trying to know? I mean, honestly, every day, is your life consumed with how to please the Father, how to live by His will, or is it just consumed with yourself? Self-centered people are not God's people. God's people are God-centered. That's what the passage is saying. Don't, it doesn't say try to discern what would please you in this situation. It says try to discern what would please the Lord. Try to discern what would please God. It involves your submission to Him. It involves my submission in my daily walk. We should be exposing the self-centered actions of our culture because we are children of light. If you live this way, if you live out who you are in Christ, be ready. The world will hate you. They will despise you. You will lose friends. It's not I might lose some. You will lose friends. Your families will be divided. You will have conflict at work if you try, if you obey and try to discern the will of the Lord, you will offend the world. There's no way around it. Jesus promised it. Have you lost any friends since you came to Christ? Or do the same old people like hanging around you a lot? Do you have no conflict with your lost relatives? Or are you constantly having to stand for the truth? Maybe <clears throat> we, have him, we have drank deep from the well of self-centeredness. And we expose no darkness because the light's not shining. You have to refrain from a self-centered unfruitfulness. Take no part, again, in the unfruitful works of darkness. But instead, expose them. Now, I know, I know, right now in your head, alarms are going off. Well, then how do we reach people? For Christ if we can't be around them. Again, it's not that you're not to be around them. It's that they're not really going to be comfortable with you being around them. 
if they're really comfortable with being around you for long stretches of time, you're probably not exposing the darkness. If you were, they would run like cockroaches or they would get saved. If your unsaved friends accept you just as you are, you're probably more like them than you are like Christ. And that's just a sad fact of it. The church today is failing in its witness because it says more than it does. They're not intimidated by your words. As a matter of fact, when they hear you talking, they listen and they watch. And when the life doesn't match the words, they, don't, they just tune you out. When you go into Jesus mode, start preaching, they just tune you out. They'll put up with that because that's going to stop. We can get talking football or wives or whatever, hunting, fishing. And he'll stop talking about Jesus. But if you behave as one who is a child of the light, you can't help. He can't help that. He can't stay away from it. It's always in front of him. So he says, refrain from self-centered unfruitfulness. Stay away from the unfruitful works of self-centeredness that the world is filled with, but expose the darkness by living God-centered lives. Expose the world for what it really is because you are not of the world. All Paul's doing is preaching, and all I'm doing is preaching Jesus' last prayer on this earth. John chapter 17. Hold your place in Ephesians and turn to John 17. Jesus preparing to die. Praise this prayer. And in verse 6, look what he says. I manifested, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, with, with, which you gave me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the Scriptures may be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. Set them apart in the truth. 
for your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and so for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. You want to know what the passage Ephesians 5, 7 through 14 is saying to you today, Christian? It's saying, if you should be set apart. Jesus is fulfilling His prayer. And His church is not like the world. That's what it's saying to you. So, we can take as a test case the life of Jesus Christ. Right? Was Jesus a self-centered person or a God-centered person? What? God-centered. I have not come to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. So answer to point number one is, He's not self-centered, He's God-centered. So if He's in me, I should be God-centered. Question number two. Did Jesus produce the fruit of righteousness, goodness, and truth? Or malice and sexual immorality and idolatry? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So, if Christ is in me, the fruit of goodness and righteousness and truth should be coming forward. Third, did Jesus go into the darkness and become swallowed up by the darkness and behave like the darkness? Or did Jesus go into the darkness and expose the works of darkness and continue in the worst of conditions to be the light? So we have Him. He is our example in this. He is not only our example, though. If I left you there and I said amen to the sermon, you should go home like this. Oh my, I can't do this. He not only is your example, He is your power for living. What has happened is you've been transferred into Christ. So therefore, you can go to work tomorrow and the light of Christ comes forward and the fruit of the Spirit is born out. Why? Not because of you, but because of Him. How? The practical how? The same way He did. When you go to work tomorrow, your statement should be, I have come not to do the will, my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. How do I discern the will of God? First, I submit. Second, I ask. Third, I think. From the sanctified mind, saturated with the Word of Jesus Christ. I say, with my mouth even, I say it often, over and over and over, audibly and quietly, I've come to this place, my home, to do the will of the one who sent me, not my will. Because my will right now is to put everybody in their place. My will right now is to get all kinds of ugly. But that's not his will. I've come to this workplace with this lost boss who's riding me to no end to do the will of Jesus Christ, not to do my will. I don't always do it perfectly, but I'm working internally, mind and heart, to know, discern, be certain of the will of God in this place. And that's what I'm going to do. 
And if you do those things, if you do that, the light will expose the darkness and the darkness will not accept you. You don't have to tell them not to accept you. They just won't do it. They won't recognize you anymore. They will turn away from you. They will sit at the other table during lunch. They won't call you and ask you to go to the movies with them. They won't want to ride around town, just hang out and have a good time. They will be exposed. Some of them will come to Christ and others will reject Christ along with you. Expose them by your light. That's what Jesus said. So, the first motivation last week was hell is coming. The second motivation is you live in hell. This world is hell for a believer. It's not easy. But He is with you. He is praying for you. He is interceding for you. And He is empowering you. You know, I have... Um, I've thought about this passage this week. And I've thought of it in terms of my own life. And I've seen that my life is fits of failure and success. When I was, uh, it's just the most, it's the easiest contrast. I could pull up some. I haven't gotten permission to use them, so I won't. But there's plenty of more recent ones. But I do want to pull an old one out that came to my mind this week. When I was in college playing football, I made a lot of friends. But after a few months, not many of them wanted to be my friend anymore. It was painful. Rumors were started. Things were said. I was hurt. We came to the end of the first semester of living in the dorms, and the most rank pagan on our team from Florida comes to me and says, I need a roommate in my apartment. Would you mind moving in? He chose me because, in his own words, I would pay. And I would be totally in a whole, I mean, I, I just would be in a whole nother arena. I would go to school and I would do these things. And in his mind, he wasn't going to go to school much and he wasn't going to do the right thing. So we were just going to kind of cohabitate. I accepted his invitation. I never will forget going into the, into the cafeteria. And uh, football players sitting there and they called me over and I went over and they said, uh, Carlton, we heard a rumor. I said, what's that? You're moving in with so-and-so. I said, yes, I am. They looked at each other. I said, what's wrong? They said, God and Satan have moved into the same apartment. <laughs> but about two months in, you'd have thought Satan and Satan were living together. I failed. The darkness overwhelmed the light. I looked more like him than he looked like me. It's a painful realization to realize that we cannot befriend, make close acquaintance and friendship and arm-to-arm -arm passionate friendships with those of the world. 
but it's a truth. I guess I just didn't read Paul seriously when he said, be careful, bad company corrupts good behavior. But I was overwhelmed about two months in. I was living just like him. And one day it came to me. We were fishing and it came to me that, I mean, the conversation we were in, I can't tell it from the pulpit, but it was every kind of crude joking, every kind of sexual immorality was being talked about, and I was part of it. And it was eating me alive. And I went home and I repented on my face before God. And I came in, he came in that night, I cooked dinner. He, we sat down and I said, I just got to tell you, I failed you. More importantly, I failed God. I have, I have become a worldly man. What you've seen is unacceptable. Would you please forgive me? Well, he was kind of shocked. He didn't know really what to say. He said, yeah, whatever, we finished eating. After that semester, I got married, and our relationships went like this. Never heard from him. Six months ago, he called me. And he said, you know, I've just gotten a divorce. And everything I had to live by has shattered. And I just remember when we were sitting at the table, and you told me that you had failed it's the first time anybody ever said that to me. I want to know what it is that makes you like that. So I told him, and I wish I could tell you he's now a Christian. I don't know that he is. We still talk off and on. But I can tell you this. You have failed, and you need to admit it to yourself and to God and to those you failed in front of, they know you failed. Confess it. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness, to cleanse us, make us white as snow. And he even will use that confession at times to turn the heart of a sinner from darkness to light. Let's pray.